Elijah goes to heaven in a whirlwind before Amri's dynasty comes to a swift end. Southward in Judah, though, a woman rises on The Bible Brief. Have you left a review of the show on your podcast player? It'll help The Bible Brief stand out to potential listeners. Post your review and support the mission. God is good for His promises, and His promises will always, eventually, come to pass. That said, God's promises often appear to be defeated before they bear fruit. Think about God's promise to Abraham to make him into a nation, that he would have descendants in greater number than the stars in the heavens. He was promised that when he was 75 years old. And the son of the promise didn't come until 25 years after that, when Abraham was very, very old. All that intervening time made it look like the promise would never come to pass. If we remember that God's promises often appear defeated before they bear fruit, we will not only see the dramatic events in the Bible in a new light, but we'll come to see the cross in a new light. A cross where evil appeared to win with the Son of God being consigned to a grave. Today, however, we're going to see this phenomenon with the promise of the Davidic covenant. David was promised that he would have an everlasting dynasty on the throne of Israel, and that it would be one of those sons that would reign as the forever king over Israel. It was a promise that would seem to be defeated in a moment of darkness in Israel. A moment of darkness when a woman rises to the throne of Judah. Elijah returned from his experience at Mount Sinai and began to work on what God instructed him to do. He is to anoint a foreign king, a future king of Israel, and his successor in prophetic ministry. Three anointings with oil that would turn the page on the wicked leadership of the dynasty of Amri. Amri himself had done more evil than any king before him and his son Ahab had only made more of a mess of things, worshipping the Baals and the Asherah, killing Yahweh's prophets, and seeking the life of Elijah himself. Amri's dynasty was leading Israel in the most wicked ways, and God was going to put an end to it. Much had happened since Elijah returned from Sinai. He'd found the prophet that would take his place when he was gone, and Ahab had been warring with the neighboring kingdom of Syria. Twice, God delivers the Israelites out of the hand of the Syrians, but Ahab continues to disobey God's commands. Even after miraculous military victories, Ahab still resists God and still will incur the judgment of God. After Ahab steals another man's property and confiscates his vineyard, God again sends Elijah to the king with a grave message. We read this in 1 Kings chapter 21, starting in verse 17. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? Elijah answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up, and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, and like the house of Baasha, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. 
And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Jeroboam's dynasty was judged, and after him Basha's dynasty was judged as well. Now it was Amri's turn. Amri's dynasty and Ahab would be destroyed, and Ahab's wicked wife Jezebel will be eaten by dogs. Severe judgments on the depraved actions of this pagan leadership. Yet oddly enough, in the midst of this scene, Ahab shows some contrition for his sin against God. So Yahweh delays the judgment to occur in the days of his children instead of him. Repentance gained Ahab more time to fully turn back to God, something that he would never ultimately do. Now, after about three years, something new develops in the story that we need to pay attention to. After many decades at war, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah make peace for a time. They make peace so that they can ally themselves in war against a Syrian-controlled city across the Jordan River. They want to capture the city, an apparently strategic location for both kingdoms. But more than mere allies, they make it even more official with a marriage alliance. Ahab gives one of his daughters to marry one of the sons of the king of Judah. An important development that will spell disaster upon David's house. After this marriage alliance is made, the two kings summon many, many prophets to tell them how they should go up against this Syrian city. And one of the faithful prophets that Ahab hates tells him that if he goes up in battle against the city, that it will be Ahab's death sentence. Despite this great warning, Ahab ignores the prophet in favor of advice from his false prophets and heads to the city wearing a disguise, just in case that faithful prophet was speaking credibly. The Syrians, for their part, have been instructed by their king to only go after Ahab in the battle. And because Ahab's wearing a disguise, they fail to find him and draw back from the battle to try again another day. But then, whistling through the air, comes a random arrow, shot from a random bow, from a random person in the Syrian camp, who wasn't aiming at anything in particular. An arrow that finds its way in between the pieces of Ahab's armor. Ahab dies later that day, as a victim of his own pride, and of his own distrust in a prophet of God. Soon a son of Ahab takes his place on the throne, and Amri's dynasty continues in Israel with another evil king doing the deeds of his fathers. But that's not the only place that Amri's dynasty continues. That marriage alliance with Judah will still bear some wicked fruit. As all of these events are occurring, Elijah has been with his new apprentice of sorts, the prophet who will take over his ministry when Elijah's gone. The young man's name is Elisha, a man who left his family and everything he had when he was called by Elijah into his ministry. Elisha, has become a dedicated companion of Elijah and follows Elijah wherever he goes, obeying his voice and learning from the older prophet. But Elijah knows that his time is coming to an end on the earth. So Elijah and Elisha are traveling near the area where Israel had first entered the land of Canaan. And Elijah, used to the miraculous at this point, approaches the Jordan River, rolls up his cloak, strikes the water, and the water parts so that the two prophets can cross the river on dry ground. 
an amazing event, connecting Elijah with Moses in yet another way. Just as Moses had parted the Red Sea, so here Elijah parted the Jordan River. But that's not the only miracle that will happen today. It's here on the east side of the Jordan, outside of Canaan, that Elijah has his final conversation with Elisha. We read this in 2 Kings chapter 2. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. What an event! Surely one that Elisha would never forget. After asking for a doubling of the prophetic spirit of Elijah, he sees his mentor exit the earth in a whirlwind, accompanied by fiery chariots and horsemen. Elijah becomes the second man in the Bible to never see physical death. Second after Enoch, way back in the beginning of the book of Genesis. The young man Elisha has been granted the double portion of spirit that he longed for. God gave it to him, and the confirmation was that he'd seen Elijah when he departed the earth. After this, Elisha goes on to demonstrate even greater numbers of miracles than Elijah. Double the miracles. Miracles including the resurrection of a man, the multiplication of loaves of bread, and the healing of a man from his leprous skin disease. God uses Elisha to demonstrate his amazing power, even in the midst of the rampant wickedness in the nation. Yahweh's prophets are the bastion of hope and truth for this straying society. Now, as Elisha's ministry continues in Israel, more is happening in the royal halls of the kingdoms. Ahab's son, who had been on the throne, died without a son, so he was replaced by his brother as king over Israel. And at the same time, the marriage alliance between the two kingdoms had produced a new king who was reigning over Judah. There were people from Amri's house over both Israel and Judah. In many ways, there was more unity between the two kingdoms than there had been since the days of Solomon. But this wasn't to last. Picking up Elijah's ministry, Elisha finishes the task of the anointings that Elijah had been commissioned to complete. He anoints the next king over Syria, and he anoints the next king over Israel. Notably, a king not in Amri's dynasty. The next king of Israel will be a man named Jehu. Now remember what God said about these anointings. He told Elijah years before that these three men, the king of Syria, 
Jehu the king of Israel, and Elisha himself would put an end to Amri and Ahab's dynasty. And here with these anointings by Elisha, things begin to quickly happen to topple the evil house of Amri. First, the king of Syria comes against the king of Israel in battle and wounds the Israelite king. And the king of Judah comes to visit his wounded friend, the king of Israel. But next, Jehu takes this opportunity to seize the throne. He comes to Samaria and kills both the king of Israel and the king of Judah. Then Jehu executes Jezebel before destroying 70 remaining male descendants of Ahab in the capital city of Samaria. Then Jehu strikes down all the prophets of Baal in the kingdom of Israel. And finally, after all these events, reigns as king over Israel. So swiftly, the dynasty of Amri and Israel has come to an end, just as God said it would. And now the dynasty of Jehu begins. But that's not quite the end of Amri's legacy. His house has a final act. Remember that daughter of Ahab that had been married to the former king of Judah? Well, Athaliah was her name. And now that her son the king has been killed by Jehu, she takes her opportunity. She slaughters the rest of the royal family and installs herself as ruler. Amri's house has its last laugh. The mother of the king has become the queen of Judah. Join us next time as the hope of the nation and the hope of the Davidic covenant rests upon a hidden baby. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023